Lord God Almighty, amazing. You're the first, the last, the Alpha and the Omega. I worship you. and to praise your holy name, God. Oh, God, just to lay our burdens down and don't pick them up again. To be yoked to you, Jesus, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We thank you, Lord God, for this great day of deliverance that you have made, that we can rejoice and be so exceedingly glad in you, God. You're so wonderful. You're so wonderful, God. Lord God Almighty, amazing. The Holy Lamb of God who is seated upon the throne, who has written our names in the Lamb's Book of Life, who has delivered us from all evil, that we can await the day of our, the fullness of our resurrection in you, Lord Jesus. For we have been sealed by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. 
Thank you, Lord, for the blessing. Thank you for your favor. Thank you for your deliverance. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb, Lord God Almighty, amazing. You're the first, the last, the Alpha, and Omega. We worship you. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. My God, we worship you, our God, we worship you, Lord. Only you, Lord. Only you, Lord. We you, yes, you my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good morning, siblings. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. God morning to all of you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Oh, thank you for your breath. Thank you for these living souls. Thank you for these rejuvenated spirits. Thank you, Lord God, that these bodies of death, have, we subjugate them to your glory, God. We subdue them to your exaltation, Lord. We bless you. We worship you. We give you all the praise, O oh God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Daily Hope in Jesus prayer huddle. Man, I am so blessed to be here. So blessed. Ah, hallelujah. Today, our topic for today is on deliverance. All right. And uh, what the Holy Spirit led me, journeyed me through in coming to understand the, the word that he's allowing me to bring forth <clears throat> is deliverance is of perfect love. Deliverance is of perfect love. Okay, I'm just going to begin by with Psalms 18, verses 1 to 3. David just exalting the Lord for good morning, good morning, sibling. 
Psalms 18 verses 1 to 3, David just exalts in the Lord for the, the deliverance that Yahweh has done for him. And I just joined David and asked all of you to just join us. Just join in agreement in this, what God has done for us. Even though this was before Jesus died for all of our sins, David understood, he knew, he discerned. And he says this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield. You hear that? Look at all these things that God is for us. Look at all that he is doing for us. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. Just let that settle in. Because whenever, whatever you're going through, to just be able to pull this to remember, when you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you on the path of life, and he begins to bring this to remembrance, who is God to you? He says, who is he? The Lord is my rock. He is solid. He is firm foundation. He is my fortress, my deliverer, a strong tower in whom I run to and I am saved. These are the things that God is to me. He is my God, the one and only God. He is Alpha and he is Omega. He is the, the beginning of the end and the end. He is all in all, our all sufficiency, our exceeding great reward. He's where we take refuge. He is our shield, that shield of faith that we put on when we put on the armor of God. That's who he is. And the horn of my, and the horn of my salvation. The horn was blue when, when they blew the horn. Wow. Grammar today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. When they blew the horn in war. That horn in war could either be, it, it, it could be for either side, right? Knowing that salvation was coming, that reinforce, reinforcement was coming. The Calvary, hey, Calvary is coming. He is the horn of my salvation. So David knew that in war, when that horn was blown, there it is, that's the word blown. When the horn was blown, Salvation was coming. Salvation is coming. Salvation has come. He is the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. That the only stronghold we should be caught up in is the stronghold of God. Because nobody, nothing, no angels, no demons, no principalities, no powers, no dominions can turn, can tear down the stronghold of God. Remember that whatever you're going through, whatever time you face, whether you're even in the time of joy, encourage yourself in this. Begin to praise with this. You find yourself low. Being made humble. Encourage yourself. 
Encourage yourself with these words. Encourage yourself with who God is. David said, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So in defining the word deliverance, deliverance is the act of setting free someone or something. Deliverance, or to be delivered, also means to take and hand over to or leave for another which was the master plan of God, which is which the, the master plan of God that was, which has been fulfilled. God's son was handed over for our deliverance because of his great love for the whole world. His desire for our redemption and only God could do this. No one and nothing else. And he says, and Jesus says in John chapter 19, verse 10, So, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Okay, so in John, Pilate is telling him, he's like, I've been given authority. I have authority. I am the Roman governor. I have the power to release you and the authority to crucify you. And Jesus, may, may we all have such an answer as this. May we know this truth about who and whose we are so we can give this report. Jesus' answer. Jesus answered him. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Deliverance. Or to be delivered. God handed his only legitimate child over to be crucified for our deliverance. And Jesus ends it with this. He says, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. But he wasn't talking about his father here. He was talking about the religious leaders. That even though Pilate thought he was passing judgment on Jesus, Jesus was actually passing judgment on them. He's like, the, the people who accuse me, the people who, uh, uh, um, these religious leaders, and let me even take it further than that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Because one of the things the Lord has shown me is that whenever Jesus was talking, he was talking more than just to the people. He was talking to the evil spirits. He was talking to Satan and his hordes. He says, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. He was passing judgment on Satan. In Romans chapter 4, verses 24 to 25, it says this, But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised, who believed in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So God delivered his son to be crucified. An involvement of Satan and 
those who are ministers of Satan, who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these religious leaders. They had to actually be the ones to physically bring him to Pilate to be crucified. So it's a process, the thing of deliverance. Deliverance is also akin to giving birth or to be birth. Someone released from a stronghold is able to give birth to a godly destiny. Those of us who are disciples of Jesus, when Jesus is using us to deliver people, we're setting them up for a better, we're, we're helping. We're instruments being used to set them up for a better path in life, for their true destiny. They're able to give birth to their destiny because they are released from the stronghold of the enemy. They're no longer captives. Captives can't give birth to their destinies. Prisoners of war can't give birth to destinies. They only give birth to other prisoners. Mm. Once someone has been delivered, they experience a new birth. This is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. We are born of the Spirit. We have been delivered from the birth of the flesh. Even though we still have these physical bodies, but they're not truly who we are. They're the vehicles we need, still need to use in this world, but they're not our true bodies. These are not our resurrected bodies. This is why we still struggle because we're still in the flesh. But we're not of the flesh. Rahab, the prostitute, because we're talking about giving birth to destiny, right? Rahab, the prostitute who was delivered from Jericho and free to live out her destiny of becoming a mother in the lineage of Jesus, our great deliverance minister. That's who she was. When we, when we are instruments used, us disciples and deliverance ministers, when God uses us and we are willing vessels to bring healing to others, and, it's, and, and, and when I said deliverance minister, every single one of you are deliverance minister. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are a deliverance minister. Just like how if you are a disciple of minister, you can baptize any single person. It is not for one sect or one group or priesthood or, uh, or, or religious organization. No. That is erroneous. If someone comes up to the sheep, uh, to the to the up to you in the street right now. I know you are a follower of the Lord Jesus. I desire to be baptized. Are you going to take them to church to get baptized? You better find the closest uh, lake. Well, if, well, in our case, we can't do it right now because it's winter time. That that would be horrible. I mean, I, unless they're willing. <laughs> but you better find the the nearest body of water. And be like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. I got you. Mm. <clears throat> we as disciples of Jesus are most effective in deliverance 
when we are God's instrument of deliverance through love. Love is a key. In order to be used to help someone through a deliverance process, it requires love. You must love that afflicted soul. Deliverance requires the deliverer to have a direct connection to God. Having God's perfect love for that person. Even we who are children of God, who often stumble because of these bodies of death and afflicted souls. To even be able to experience deliverance of our own souls, we must love ourselves. Do I believe I am worth deliverance and freedom from what I am experiencing? You got to believe that. You're worth it. You do not deserve to be afflicted. No, you don't. You may have done some things, but it doesn't mean you deserve it. Jesus desires for you to be delivered from that. That's why he did it. His perfect love. And he desires that you love yourself. Because that's the only way you can love anybody else. That's the only way you can take them through deliverance is that you love yourself. You love God first. You know him. You have a relationship with him. That he has been sanctifying you, pouring more into you so you can pour out to others. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, it says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. In reading this scripture, all you have to do is take out the word love, not take it out, replace the word love with God. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not God, I have not Jesus, I have not the Holy Spirit, I have not the Father. I have nothing. You can practice all the religion you want. You have nothing. Any hesitance or inability to bring deliverance is due to lack of love. Check out Jonah. God sends Jonah to deliver Nineveh by bringing the message of God's judgment coming upon them. God is like, I do not want to destroy this city. Jonah, go deliver them by bringing my word. Jonah had no love for the Ninevites. So he was like, no. I'm going to go somewhere else. Hmm. But God's love for the Ninevites was so great 
And God's love for Jonah was so great that he was going, he allowed him to experience something akin to what Jesus had to experience in the belly of, in the belly of the earth in hell. He put Jonah in the belly of a whale. Well, in the belly of a fish, it says. And then that fish spits him out on land with a new revelation. That we must do what God tells us to do. God desires deliverance. We can't be like the Pharisees. We can't be like the religious leaders. Only being technical about deliverance. That it's a methodology to it. You got to do it this way and that way, that way. And this is how you get the result. No. They had no love. They couldn't even deliver a guy on the side of the road who was one of them, a Jew, an Israelite, a son of Abraham. It took a Samaritan. The people, the same people did despise to go and pick this guy up and deliver him out of what he was going through. We can't be like that. We can't just be so busy about what we're busy about that we forget or ignore what God is saying for us to do and those he desires for us, us to deliver. We're so occupied with ministry. And God is like, I desire you to deliver that person. Even that person in your home. Go and give them a word. Or you can be, or the sons of Sceva and the demon-possessed man. This one, I'm going to read it. The story is hilarious. But this is deliverance gone wrong when we do not have a relationship with Jesus. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 16, it says, And God was doing extraordinarily, extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. May this be our portion. Lord, pour into us that we're functioning like this because of your great love that has been poured into our hearts in these last days, God. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, okay, these are the ones I was talking about earlier, right? That their whole methodology, they're, techno, they're really technical about it. It's got to be done this way. Okay, what? That's how, that's how Paul's doing it? All right, yeah, let's give it a try like that. No, we can't be like those guys. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded 
he kicked their butts. One guy. Huh. In order for whatever is afflicting the person to submit and flee, that entity must be willing to obey a power higher than itself and our relationship to that power. Jesus was able to cast out every demon, infirmity and affliction because the demons were subject to him. And so were his disciples when they matured in love after his resurrection. They were in one accord, one mind, God's mind, one heart, God's heart, one love. And a fellowship, so powerful, everything done in one accord. In Mark chapter five, verses one to 20, it says this, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gergesenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. He lived amongst the dead. So this man, he was already dead to himself. He had no love for himself. And these evil spirits were able to take advantage of him. Have him living in ways no one should have to live. Torturing him day in and day out. That the only thing he could express was rage. And no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. What, what good is any physical chain when you're already bound in heart and soul and mind? When they've already gotten you, these demons, these principalities and powers has you so captivated. Ain't no physical chain going to do anything. When they're running and ruling you, ruling who you are, who we are. Far be it from us in Jesus name. But it was happening to this man. Said no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Deliver me. Seriously, that just dropped in my spirit that, that this is what this guy was screaming out. Deliver me. Just like the children of Israel in Egypt crying out, deliver us, oh God. And God always hears the cry of his people and he shows up. Hmm. And when he saw Jesus from afar, oh man, oh man, I have to believe that the part of this man who was a son of Abraham knew that was his salvation and he had to run. He had to run. He had to run to his father. Those entities probably couldn't even hold him back. He had to run. We got to run. Sometimes we just got to run. 
we got to just run to him. No matter what is trying to hold us back. Because that is where our deliverance is. Jesus is where our deliverance is always. Without a doubt. So he saw Jesus from afar and he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, and the demon spoke from his mouth. And here's the thing I got from this scripture I'm, you're, I'm about to read. This man began to speak, and his identity was so convoluted, so mixed up with these demon spirits, that he thought he was one of them. And it says, he said, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, Jesus. Now, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man. You unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. But we are many. And he begged them earnestly not to send them out of the country. You hear in that language? He begged him earnestly not to send them out. We, Stockholm Syndrome, when we identify with our captors, so much so, even though we do desire deliverance, there is a part of a greater part of us that has now been consumed that we identify with the captors. Stockholm Syndrome, they call it. And he's begging Jesus not to send Legion out of the country because his identity is so intertwined with them. So it says, now a great herd of pig was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Mm. Now a great herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside, and they be- you see how it just switched from he? So they, they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, because they knew what was coming. Jesus was going to deliver this man, because the soul of this man that was but a child, bruised, battered, beaten, molested, hurt, neglected, tormented by these evil spirits, and probably whatever else happened to him when he was growing up. That the soul of this man that was but a child needed deliverance. Jesus was not going to let this man stay as he was. He loved him too much. We got to ask ourselves, even though sometimes we got people in our lives that are hurting us, they're harmful to us. And yeah, they may have to, you know, some of them may have to be, you know, put put somewhere for their own safety or whatever, or they're not hurting us enough that they're put away, but they're hurting our feelings. They're, 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 they're bring, they're, they're stabbing at us emotionally, but we're still able to be like Jesus and see them for who they truly are. See them for the little child that they truly are, who is hurting incarcerated in the corners of hell in their souls to be able to draw them out by dealing with their captors and not seeing them as their captors as they see themselves 
because this is what's going on with people. They see themselves as their captors. They have Stockholm Syndrome. But Jesus, having true sight, could see that child, could hear his cries. And they begged him and said, and the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. Wow. Rushed down the steep bank and the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what was, people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. These people did not desire deliverance. They didn't desire it. They didn't want it. Jesus entering to their city, who knows? They were probably making money off this man. I'm speculating. They're probably making money off this guy. Probably he was a sideshow freak to them. Jesus entering into their city could have delivered more of their sideshow freaks. They didn't want that. Of course, this is all speculation. But they begged them to leave their city. Oh, thank you, Lord. Hmm. As he was sit, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Hmm. Hmm. The child, the child who was now set free, seeking to cling to his Savior. But Jesus tells him. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you because that's what it happens. It's so far reaching. We only see the right now. We only see the right now. And we think all we're dealing with right now, it's all that it's always going to be, but it isn't. Generations are impacted. And he tells them, go and tell your friends Go and tell your families hmm, what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The guy became an evangelist. Hmm. What, what are some of the people we are dealing with in our life going to become when we put ourselves aside, when we truly love ourselves because we love God and we have God and we love them? What could they become? I am ministering to myself here, my God. When Jesus met this demon-possessed man, he did what others did not do. When others would run away from the demon-possessed in fear, Jesus held his ground 
unafraid because perfect love casts out all fear. Demons that manifested out of the man had no love for the man or Jesus, but had utter fear for Jesus. For it knew Jesus as God. They knew he was God. Evil spirits rule people through fear because they are of fear. But the kingdom of darkness is built on fear. Fear was why sin came into the world. The woman was afraid that God was denying them this tree for selfish reasons. Satan convinced her that God had lied. Fear led Adam and Eve to sin. Fear is is our adversary's greatest weapon against us. And we must have complete faith in Jesus to overcome him and operate as Jesus did, having perfect love for those in need of deliverance. Hmm. Deliverance is love and compassion and is often discreet, not a tool for recognition. It ain't about us. It ain't about people knowing our names or what ministry we're a part of. When Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood, he was so considerate. Okay, we all know, we know the story. Some of them know the story, Luke, in the, in the book of Luke. The woman with the issue of blood, she comes in the midst of a crowd of people she should not have been among. Because they could have stoned her for because she was unclean. And she had gone to all the physicians, all the, 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 the religious leaders, and they couldn't heal her. Because they were so technical, methodical. And she goes and braves a crowd of people crawling on her hands and knees to be able to grab hold of the Savior's garment. She could have probably have been stepped on, walked on, trampled. She didn't care. She was going. Jesus knew all this. When Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood, he was so considerate of her, though. When he called out, who touched me? Jesus could have turned around and just pointed her out. He said, who touched me? Jesus knew who touched him. And because of the great love he had for her through this process of deliverance, did not seek to shame her. But he wanted her to know he knew. That in deliverance, no matter how insignificant someone feels buried under the weight of their afflictions, demons and strongholds, Jesus hears them. He sees them. And when they reach out to him to be saved, he is reaching out to them with power and freedom from their place of captivity. That is what happened to that woman. She grabbed him and he reached back to her. Jesus' deliverance method is his great love for us. That has got to be our deliverance method. 
You don't desire somebody to be delivered. You got to ask yourself, why? In Romans chapter 10, verses 11 to 13, it says, For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Hmm. Deliverance as disciples. It requires that we sanctify ourselves into vessels of honor useful for the master. Deliverance is most effective when we disciples know that it is only Jesus who is without sin. Therefore, when the woman caught in adultery in John 8 was to be stoned by her accusers, they could not do it because they were all accused themselves. Only Jesus had the right to accuse her, but chose to set her free. We are not perfect because we do not have our resurrected bodies yet. We don't have it yet. Therefore, we are not perfect. Said it before, we're struggling with these bodies of death, and we must subdue them constantly through fasting, through prayer, through seeking the face of our God, reading the word putting good things in us, trimming our lamps with the good things, with things that are good, holy, pure, and praiseworthy. Being careful not to put defiling things before our eyes. Careful of what our ears hear. Careful of what our mouth speaks. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hmm. Only Jesus had the right to accuse her. But he didn't. And we are not perfect because there is still a process of renewal. Only Jesus is perfect. And we're going through a process of renewal ourselves. Even Paul. Even Paul. Paul had a messenger of Satan who was tormenting him. That God sent. So regardless Should this stop us from doing the work when it is not us doing the work, but Jesus? We should always remember and know that it is no longer us who live, but Christ. It's not about us. And if you want to check out the scripture about Paul being afflicted by a messenger of Satan, read 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 1 to 10 and tell you about it. Paul is talking about how he was taken to the, to the third heaven. But he's not, this. It's, it's funny because he's not describing it as though it was him. But he is describing it as though it was him. He was talking about his spirit, man. So he's like, I can boast in that guy. But I can't boast in the flesh. So if you want to read about. God sending them to keep him humble, uh, a messenger of Satan, is Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. So the devils and the demons, they can accuse a deliverance minister, a disciple, all they want. But when we know that we do not heal in our own authority, and we have confidence in the authority Jesus has given us in his name, the accusations of the devils will mean nothing to us. 
no matter what they think they know about you or what they think you've done or they say they've done, I saw you. It means nothing to you because guess what? It ain't you doing it. You got to know that Jesus is not accusing you. He's not accusing me, nor does he accuse the one needing deliverance. But those devils and demons will always stand accused and must drop their stones and flee. We as instruments used for God's deliverance cannot decide whether we are good enough or not good enough to be used. When God says that this is the fast that he has chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness and he has chosen you as his instrument to set captives free. We are to submit ourselves to the will of God and follow his instructions. If we decide to not follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but operate through the knowledge or experience we have accumulated over the years and believe we are the go-to instruments of deliverance, we are functioning in pride. If we decide that we are not good enough to do deliverance, even though God is telling us that we are his chosen instrument, We are also functioning by the insecurities of our souls and operating in false humility, which is pride. Pride is our enemy in any work we do. Pride in both of these cases encourages the instrument to analyze itself and find worth or nothing of worth instead of looking totally to Jesus for strength. Just like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. Because that scripture ends ends with that Jesus is my strength through this all. He is my all-sufficiency. God says, my grace is sufficient to you, Paul. And Paul acknowledges that in all things, God, Jesus is my strength. Deliverance is never about us. It is always about Jesus. If we are... If we are to be most effective as instruments of God in delivering others and even partaking in deliverance of our own souls, it can be for no reward other than to see that soul freed from captivity. Because you love that soul as Jesus loves that soul. A deliverance minister, a disciple, synonymous. Keep saying it, it's synonymous. Must function solely by perfect love. And I'm going to close with this scripture. Okay? That the fact that Jesus said these words fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 61 is all we need to know that deliverance is God's desire for all, not just some. This word cannot return void. So we can completely stop looking at whether we can or can't, or who deserves it or doesn't, and know that Jesus always can, always. We are but sanctified tools, useful for the master. That is what we are. I'll close with Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's the same scripture prophesied in Isaiah 61. Jesus fulfilled it. He proclaimed it. And they actually wanted to kill him for it immediately. But it's who he is. And just by knowing this scripture and that Jesus has fulfilled it, and he has said it because the word cannot return void to God. It is all we need to know to go forward and deliver in love. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Prince. Thank you for that word. So true. So true. We are the able ministers of deliverance, deliverance to others. But we can't keep waiting for others to do it. Even if you're just interceding, even if you're just man, you may not be able to have a relate, or you don't have a relationship with that person right now, or whatever. But just by interceding for them, just by having that that uh, true love in your heart to even just be willing to intercede, God, I struggle to love this person. Help me to love that person by loving you more and loving myself. And I, I they they need to be set free. God, I need freedom. They need freedom. Deliver us. And let's see what God begins to do. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for that word. Now it is time for us to get into our daily manner. Before we even get into that, let me just remind everyone that, that we are recording the prayer calls now. So if you don't want your uh, testimony or prayer request uh, recorded when it's time for testimonies and prayer requests after this man uh, please just stay so before you give your request and we can always edit it edit it out of the recordings before we put it out uh, just a reminder for everyone now it is time for us to get into our daily manner where we're just encouraged to just be attentive to what God is doing at the moment, this day, this moment, and not allow anything to steal that moment, whether it be what happened yesterday, whether it be what might come tomorrow, let tomorrow worry about itself. We leave yesterday in yesterday and see what God is doing today. So here I'm going to read the first part, and then there's a, I'll let you know the, the Part you need to repeat after me. I'll let you know when it's time for that. So every day is new manna. Every day is our daily bread. In the wilderness, the children of Israel were given new manna at the beginning of each new day. They collected as much as they needed and had to consume it all, not leaving any for the next day. Those who took more than they needed could not consume it all and try to keep it for the next day only to find it had become rancid, foul, and full of worms. 
And I say that these people were disobedient, stiff-necked, and were hard of hearts. And we know that disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness that of idolatry. Disobedience is witchcraft because it is pride, the iniquity which was found in Satan and his angels. And it proclaims that one does not need God, knows better than God, and that they are God. This is why the disobedience and stubbornness is synonymous. But stubbornness says that I am a God, therefore causing that one to fall into idolatry. This is how the children of Israel, while in and out of the wilderness, were functioning. This is how we have and are often functioning as children of God in these last days. Jesus, the word, the same word God spoke to bring forth manna. Jesus was the manna from heaven to feed the children in the wilderness. Jesus, the word, the bread of life, then give us a prayer to pray to daily be in agreement with God and show appreciation to him. Jesus gave we as disciples the Lord's prayer. The Lord's Prayer is rich with symbolism and deep meaning, pointing to God's sovereignty and how it must be honored. One of these deep truths is God reiterating to us that what he has done today, he did yesterday. That he is God yesterday, today, and forever. But his desire is for us to show him deep appreciation for today. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus was showing us that each new day we pray this prayer, we're asking and trusting God that he would give us new manna. That through Jesus being the bread of life and living water, the atonement for our sins, we have new manna. That is not physically, but spiritually eaten. But we must be willing to forgive those who have sinned against us to show our appreciation for what he has done and provided for us. Each new day is that daily bread. All the blessing of each new day must be gathered up as much as we and our families need. And that nothing must be left over for tomorrow. Nothing must hinder us from the new blessings. Unforgiveness will do just that. Our resemblance of our older siblings, the children of Israel, come into play when we decide not to appreciate the new day for what it is, seek to recognize and consume every blessing of this new day, or even seek to take on more in the day than we can reasonably handle, or God did not tell us to take on. We end up transferring these blessings into the new day, only to find they have become a curse, but we are too focused on what has come before. This plays out whether we have had a horrible past or happy past. We find ourselves focusing on past hurts and pains, unable to experience the blessings of each new day. Or we are too stuck on past revelations and blessings that we struggle to receive any new ones in the new day. Yeshua HaMashiach, the anointed salvation, Jesus the Christ also tells us to be anxious for nothing. And not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow's troubles are enough for itself. This means that our concerns should always be for the present moment we're in. And appreciated of every second of our collection of the manna for today. 
just like dwelling on the past when we're anxious and worried about what comes next, we lose faith in God and what we lose faith in what God has provided for today. We are telling God that even though we can plainly see that he has provided for us, we don't trust he can do it tomorrow. God tells us that even the animals don't worry about tomorrow because they inherently know God is provider and he has provided. How much more us who are in his image and likeness. We insult God with our doubt about tomorrow and for this we must repent. In the scripture, the only reason the children of Israel were allowed to keep manna for the future was as a legacy of remembrance for their descendants. A reminder of what God did for them in the wilderness. Our wilderness journey is a testimony to those who will come after us, encouraging our descendants that God is faithful. What God allows us to carry in, into the future is not for our carnal security, it is for the blessing of generations to come to remember the one true God. For this reason, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except, except him who receives it. Revelation 2, verse 17. New King James Version. Now, let's take it and say it. This is the time where I will ask that you repeat after me. And please keep your lines muted as you do. Lord, I repent for not recognizing each day as my daily bread and not allowing forgiveness to be my portion by not forgiving those who have sinned against me. Holy Spirit, take away every spoiled day from me so that I have room to appreciate you. Lord, thank you for giving me a heart of thanksgiving to go out into the day of the Lord and gather up all the blessings me and my family need. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for keeping me from taking on any more or any less. Lord, lead me to treat each new day as though I have never had one before it. Lord, keep me from complaining against you. Lord, keep me thankful and forever grateful to you. Lord, lead me to let go of yesterday easily. Lord, I thank you for delivering me from looking back and becoming a pillar of salt of regret. Thank you, and because of you, Lord, I have become the salt of the earth. 
and I do not lose my savor. Lord, I also realize that if my past days and today are riddled with trials, tribulations, and afflictions, I know that this is your daily bread for me, filled with meat. The meat is necessary to make me stronger. I grow stronger by holding on to you, trusting you, praising you, no matter what. Lord, as I am strengthened, I strengthen my brothers and sisters, the saints. Lord, with the strength I gain by consuming your manna, I give birth to blessings. These blessings are not just for this generation, but for generations to come. My legacy is in Christ. My legacy shall encourage generations to worship Jehovah. In Jesus' name, amen. To hear the rest of this audio recording, please scroll to the bottom of this page or visit the Daily Hope in Jesus podcast on Spotify. God bless you. Be one.